Well, we've all heard, uh, we've all read famous last words, you know, some are serious, some are jokes. I don't have a list of them today. Um, I, I think of one on a tombstone that read, I told you I was sick. You know, that was famous last word type of thing. But uh, these are the uh, famous last words of Jesus upon his death before his resurrection. Um, and uh, there were seven words spoken on the cross. The first few happened in the first three hours uh, of his crucifixion. Um, and then there was uh, silence for a while. And then upon the sixth hour, he spoke the last four words. But the second word uh, that we come to in Luke chapter 23 is, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. <clears throat> so I want to read uh, the context here in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. <clears throat> Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to a place called the Skull, which interestingly is Golgotha, or Calvary, and uh, there's a third word. Um, I forget the third one, but three different languages, it means a skull. Um, they came to the skull, and there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was the first word. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so, Lord, I, give, I pray that you give your power and your insight and revelation uh, to your word here, that we may be encouraged and that we may have a deeper understanding of what, in fact, you've done for us and what you offer to us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there were three crosses that day, and we ended our sermon last week on the first word from the cross. We ended that of the three crosses, one, uh, there was one hanging who died to sin. The other one, or one died in sin, the unrepented thief. And the one died to sin, the one who repented. And then one died for sin on the middle cross, Jesus. Of the three who were crucified on that Good Friday, we can learn a lot about them from the few words that they spoke. <clears throat> and let's look at these words spoken from the three crosses. The first cross was the cross of rebellion. The second cross was the cross of repentance on either side of Jesus. And then the third cross was the cross of redemption. And that's the outline. Very simple sermon today. As we uh, walk through Lent, the season of Lent, there's not going to be anything real profound, but yet it is profound. And so I pray it grabs our heart today. 
So first, the cross of rebellion in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us while you're at it. The Greek word for criminal here in Greek describes a thief who utilized uh, his force, the forces of, of murder even, to accomplish their goals. In other words, it would be like armed robbery today. Um, ending in murder. And so no doubt these two thieves crucified beside Jesus, they would have been murderers. We're not told for sure, but uh, that's the Greek word anyway. Uh, Why would this thief take it out on Jesus? What had Jesus done to him after all? Well, perhaps this thief who's angry at Jesus would have been angry because Jesus extended grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those who were mocking him, those hypocritical religious leaders, and then those enemy Roman um, centurions. Why are you forgiving them and and praying for their forgiveness? Fight back, man. Do something. Do something. Perhaps this thief, along with the others, hoped that this supposed Messiah would finally rescue the Jews from the Roman uh, occupation, coming in and being tyrants in their land. After all, these Romans would demand 40 to 60% of uh, the Jews' wages, not in taxes, not to benefit Jerusalem and Judea, but to be sent back to Rome so that Rome could prosper all the more. Also, these Romans would have held the constant threat of the Roman cross, the most excruciating form of death ever known to humankind, would have held it over the Jews' head, threatening them, if you step out of line, or if you dare to question our authority here, then that's waiting for you. Well, this Messiah had finally come to Jerusalem, they might have thought, and now he's going to rally the troops. Now he's going to fight back and restore the rightful rule and authority of the Jews in our rightful land. And perhaps this Messiah will utilize his miraculous and supernatural powers, not unlike Samson, who was given supernatural strength to overcome the enemy for Israel, or or Moses, who dialed up a few plagues here and there. This is going to be exciting, Jesus. But instead, Jesus chose to do nothing, or what what looked like nothing, in the eyes of this uh, criminal. What a disappointment. He put up no fight against these Roman centurions and corrupt leaders. What a disappointment. And now he hung naked and humiliated and allegedly defeated on this Roman cross. Again, if you're the so-called Messiah, then save yourself and save us. Or were you just a fraud? Had we put our hopes in you? Potentially. Are you just a fraud using your trickery, your crafty tricks, and your clever stories? So this thief joined in with all the others who are mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Have you ever been disappointed with God because he failed to accomplish what you thought he should in your life? If you are the God that you say you are, then God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Why do I have to walk through this trial in my life? Don't you hear my prayers, Lord? 
Why don't you do something already? And, you know, we all intuitively know the Sunday school answers to that question, that, that we live in a world filled with pain and evil and hardship. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble or you will be hated by many if you're a follower of mine. Or I have come not to bring peace on the earth, but to bring a sword, you know, a mother against a daughter. And, and we also understand that God's promises won't be completely fulfilled this side of heaven. Again, we're aware of the Bible's teachings that we need to keep our eyes focused on things above. And the world is not our home. This life is but a fleeting breath. And a real home is not here. It's in heaven. It's in the new heaven, new earth one day. We're just passing through here as aliens, as strangers. We know these things, and yet we still struggle when we get hit by hardship. And so in his disappointment, like us, this thief would join in with the religious leaders and the Roman guards, and they would hurl insults at Jesus. Uh, They would um, sneer at Jesus and as Jesus hung on the cross, and each one had their reason for their disappointments with Jesus. <clears throat> we may not do that with Jesus, but we do our share of complaining about life and about others who disappoint us. Each one would have been influenced by another one who mocked, uh, another voice, and that voice would have been their spiritual father, in other words, the devil the father of lies, the accuser of the believers, the one who would earlier unleash his own attacks on Jesus when he was in the desert, excuse me, when he said, if you are truly the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this pinnacle of the temple and let the angels catch you miraculously so that all the, all the crowds will be able to witness the Messiah coming down in fulfillment of prophecy. Then they will believe you. Throw yourself off. Or did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That was the voice of the enemy in the Garden of Eden, right? Do these, do these questions sound similar or familiar? In verse 35, the rulers sneered at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if He is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him. If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Prove it. And now this thief, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, then save yourself and save us. And how do we respond when God doesn't work the way that we would hope? That was the cross and the attitude of rebellion, the cross of rebellion. The the, the second cross was the cross from the other thief, the cross of repentance. This other thief would have been a violent criminal as well. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, it's reported that the second thief would have also begun by slandering and mocking Jesus. In Matthew 27, We read, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with Jesus also heaped insults on him. Mark 15, 32, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him, on Jesus. But something changed during those first 
hours on the cross, what changed? As reported in the Gospel of Luke, verse 40. <clears throat> the other criminal rebuked Jesus, or no, I'm sorry, he rebuked the first criminal. And he said, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What happened? Why the change of heart? Was it because this second criminal had heard, seen, and heard up close and personal how Jesus responded to all the taunts and all the hate of his enemies. And Jesus responded with love and with grace and mercy instead of retaliation. Did he sense in Jesus' eyes a look of deep compassion and understanding for his attackers, including him at first? Was it Jesus' prayer for the people, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps he realized that this prayer was directed toward him as well. Or was it because of this supernatural kind of peace that he detected in the face of Jesus, even in the midst of such great pain and hate directed toward him? Why the change? The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans, he it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, we often feel compelled to lash out against corrupt people who are steeped in lies and, and uh, things that are in opposition to the truth, you know, in the church. We feel that if we're to change this world, we need to be clear in our communication of our disapproval toward their lifestyles and toward their decision. And, and we want them to feel guilt and shame and become convinced of their sin, but thereby leading them to repentance. That's what we feel would work. And that's how we behave. And sometimes we do need to speak against injustice. However, personally speaking, as I look back on my life, I recall changing the most when teachers and parents and coaches and mentors, uh, they spoke words of belief and trust in me. Even when I was a knucklehead, even when I messed up, you know, I, I know you could do better. I, I know you messed up. I know that, but I believe in you. I know you're going to do better. I believe in you. It doesn't mean that my coaches and teachers and parents never had to correct me. But I instinctively knew that when they did correct me, they corrected me because they believed in me and they cared for me and they loved me rather than, rather than um, coming to me with their disgust and disrespect and, and you'll never measure up type of thing. Because it was their kindness that led me to repentance. It was people's kindness that caused me to desire to want to live better to please them. This thief was changed because of God's kindness that he saw in the face of Jesus. And what was the evidence that this thief was changing? Well, first, he, he indicated that he feared God in his words. Uh, fear mean, meaning fear, or it could mean revere too, but I believe it was a combination. You know, he was, he was deathly afraid. He was he was about ready to die. The thief knew that he was nearing his last hours 
or minutes even. He didn't know. He and his partner in crime over there. And he knew that he would have to face God and have to maybe give an accounting of his life up to that point. And he feared his eternity. In verse 40, the other criminal rebuked the first, saying, Don't you fear God since you and I are under the same sentence? Don't you know that God is our final judge and he's going to determine our eternal destiny? I've had the privilege to be at, um, at the deathbed of, of some folks in my life. And, uh, and in some cases, they weren't believers on their deathbed. But they had opportunity to ask me, the pastor, questions and I was able to share Christ with them. And uh, out of pure fear of what's coming next, uh, on a few occasions, they repented and they invited Jesus to say, I need to... I need, to, I need this assurance. Would you pray with me, Pastor? And it's such a privilege to be able to do that. <clears throat> but we all know that many are not so fortunate to be given that gift of mercy in time because there'll be many who will die suddenly and instantly, never having the opportunity to repent one last time. God always promises his forgiveness to those who turn to him but he never promises us tomorrow. He says, today is the day of salvation. Today, make Jesus your Lord. You don't know if tomorrow's coming for you. So this thief had a fear of God and it played out in his repentance. And then this thief also would confess, which means agree with. He said, I agree that I'm a sinner. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal admitted his need for God because he admitted his sin before Jesus. We are all in the same boat whether we're religious or not, whether we are moral or not, whether we're worldly or not. We are all in the same boat James, the apostle, wrote in James chapter 2, for whoever keeps the whole law perfectly yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all because even one sin in an otherwise perfect life would keep us out of heaven for eternity because sin can't be in the presence of God in in his kingdom. The wages of our sin is death. We all deserve this. So we all need to confess as this man on the cross uh, discerned. And then thirdly, he simply turned to Jesus. Or he directed his thoughts to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It would require faith for this criminal to turn to Jesus because it seemed like the rest of the world was mocking Jesus at that time. His, his, the criminal on the other side, the Roman centurions, The religious leaders, everyone, it seemed, had turned against Jesus. There were some loved ones who were before him too. Many of his friends, they scattered for fear that they too would be placed on the cross, his disciples. But in the face of all of this um, direction of anger and hate toward Jesus, this man alone turned to him and asked for help. A man getting a haircut discussed with his barber the concept of God, and the barber said, I don't believe in God. The quick reply was, when I see the sick 
and the poor and the hurting and the helpless and the abandoned, I know that if there were a God, then he would do something about this. That's why I don't believe in God. Well, the customer decided he wouldn't push back. After all, he was getting his hair cut and he didn't want to disturb, you know, the, the barber. Or the, what do you call barbers today? What? Doesn't matter. It's not hairdresser. It's, oh. Anyway, uh, the customer uh, didn't push back, but he just paid and he went out and did his bit. He went out and did his thing, right? He just left. But a few minutes later, he returned to the barber shop and he said, he directed his, his thought to the barber. He said, I guess, I guess I don't believe in barbers. He said, What? Why not? The man said, I was walking down the block and I noticed some young guys with long hair. And then another guy was with a mop top and is unkempt. And I noticed unshaved guys walking. And so barbers must not exist. And the barber retorted, what do you mean barbers don't exist? I'm here. They just have to come to me. And then the man replied, regarding that discussion about God, ditto. We simply need to go, go to him. It doesn't disprove him that there's messed up world. It, it would take faith for this man to believe in Jesus, uh, that he was the king as it displayed over Jesus' head, king of the Jews. And it would take faith for this man to say what he said. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. He, he wouldn't have a kingdom unless he were king. And so that this man had some sort of faith. The rebellious people will never come to Jesus, but repentant people will. And this criminal came, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then finally, there was a third cross, the one in the middle, which is the cross of redemption. Verse 43, Jesus replied, truly, I tell you. Okay, stop, time out. The thief might have been hearing this for the first time. Okay, here it is. Truly I tell you, he's about to unleash his attack on me and, and give me what I deserve. Give it to me, Jesus. But Jesus didn't go there. He didn't give him what this man deserved. Instead, he said, I will remember you. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. William Barclay spoke of paradise in his commentary as a Persian word, a walled garden, a park, or an enclosure of a king or a noble man who would invite special guests into their walled garden in order to build relationship and enjoy conversation and welcome into friendship. And this is what Jesus was saying. My paradise, you're going to be with me. Today, you'll be with me, Jesus said. I want you to, I want you to be with me and I want to be with you. I want to be your close friend. This criminal who lived a life of crime, I want to be your friend and I want you to be with me forever in paradise. Thief said, what? What? When? Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus gave him above and beyond what this thief ever asked for or imagined because that's what God's grace is. It's amazing. In the moment we turned to Jesus for the first time, he came to reside within us and said, I will be your companion from this day forward 
for all eternity. And when you breathe your last breath on this earth, then we will see each other face to face. Before the funeral home is ever notified, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you'll be with me. What did this criminal do to receive such grace and mercy? He was redeemed. The word redeemed means purchase. Jesus said, I purchased him. I purchase you. And the price that I'm paying for you is my death right now. My blood shed for you. That's the price I paid for you. I bought you. You belong to me now forever. And nothing can separate you from me because you belong to me. If I were to invite you for lunch and I were to say after the meal, hey, I got it. It's on me today. And, and what, did, what would you have done to deserve that free meal that I extended to you? And the answer obviously is nothing unless you conclude that I've earned this meal because of the blessing of my presence with you. You know, you could conclude that. But no, you've really done nothing other than say thank you, thank you. Alistair Begg said, if we were to die tonight and step into heaven, and if someone there asked you to tell your story, your testimony, you may answer in the first person saying, well, because I believed I have a relationship, or because I took a step of faith, or because I acted this way, or because I persevered through this difficult life, but Begg goes on to say, loved ones, the only proper answer will be in the third person. Because he, because he, because of what he has done for me, because he died for me. This thief did nothing. You and I have done nothing that we are sitting here now as believers in Christ. In fact, even our faith, people say, well, I had faith, and I decided even our faith is a gift from God. Um, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent me, who sent me draws him or her. So even our ability to have faith and believe was initiated by God. We can choose. We can say yes or no, but that's, no, that's not a work any more than you saying thank you for a meal freely offered. Alistair Begg goes on to say, I can't wait to step into heaven and find that thief and ask him, so how did that shake out for you? Because you know, I read you were cussing him out at first when you were on the cross along with your friend. You've never been to a Bible study. You were never baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And yet, and yet you still made it. How did that happen? And then maybe a nearby angel would approach you and pipe in, yeah, uh, what are you doing here? And the thief would answer, I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you must know. Let me get my supervisor. So he goes, gets the head angel. Supervisor comes back with his clipboard. So we've got a few questions for you. First, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The, the guy responds, I've never heard of that in my life. Well, what are your thoughts about the inerrancy of Scripture? Huh? What about your view of the atonement? I got nothing. Well, what did you do? How did you use 
your gifts on earth to bring glory to God. The guy just stares blankly back at the head angel. And finally, in frustration, the angel asks, on what basis are you here, buddy? And the man answered, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's grace. That's amazing grace. Aren't you glad that the man on the middle cross said that you could come and know him too? That's what we celebrate this Lenten season as we look forward to his death and resurrection of our Savior. Are you like the guy on the first cross? I don't get you, God. I don't understand why you treat me this way and cross of rebellion. Or we could respond in repentance. I don't deserve this, but I need help. Jesus, help me. Uh, remember me somehow when you come into your kingdom, into your supreme rule of your kingdom. There are three crosses. There's the cross of redemption, one who died in sin, the cross of repentance, the one who died to sin, and the cross of redemption, the one who died for sin and purchased us as his own. And that's what we celebrate. Let's pray. So thank you, Lord, for this simple story that we read in Scripture, but on which all of human history is turned on that Good Friday leading up to Easter Sunday. We thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from these two guys and, and, and for the choice that we've been granted. But we thank you most of all for your incredible, amazing gift of grace that you extend to us. Lord, may this sink in even as we sing this last song. Would your Holy Spirit just uh, massage within us the truth of how much you love us despite our so many acts of rebellion. You, you love us and you forgive us and you're there for us. Amen.